people, and it's incentivizing people not to go back to work, which is why we have 10 million open that's not list that's not, people not coming back that's to work. Not, that is not what that bill does. In fact, that's not what that bill does. Right? Whoa, don't stop her. Stop it. Moderator, what is the point of you? Are you just there any time that she's about to get a dunk on Ben to be like, all right, I'm just going to going to stop you before you make a salient point because uh, I don't want that to happen. And then, uh, Ben, can you say something uh, right afterwards? The debate to end all debates. Reasoning for not going back in traditional media as well. And it's available pretty much everywhere. And uh, she's also the producer of that show, executive producer of that show. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Anna, your turn. All right. Um, first of all, thank, thank you for... Well, they have to introduce each other? That's weird. ...for having me. Yeah, he looks um, real it's cute. It's a pleasure to be here, and everyone's been so hospitable. If y'all like Chico, and you want to see more Chico in your lives, check out the Instagram account, at willworkforsnacks underscore. That's uh, Chico's Instagram, where he does dog things. ...and incredibly yeah, this polite just and nice, uh, and I really appreciate that. Ben, uh, I just found out, uh, based on what Jean told me, in, like suggested me to be uh, part of this conversation, and I really appreciate that. Um, you know, Ben is the co-founder of uh, The Daily Wire, incredibly, incredibly well-known, uh, especially in the media space, the new media space specifically, but he's certainly made his rounds in traditional media as well. Um, and he... I'm not going to lie, this is not how I would introduce Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I would be much much meaner i'll be honest she's she's a pro you know unlike myself he has uh really popularized a lot of conservative ideals conservative beliefs that i think were getting a little played out by some of the uh, old guard of conservatism so um you know ben is known for being sharp uh being able to defend his uh viewpoints without yeah, I wouldn't have said any of that. Uh, I'm going to do it on one, two, five because this is a very long debate. I don't know if we can have time to watch it all and do other segments. But uh, if you hear Ben Shapiro suddenly speaking faster than normal, even though he already speaks very rapidly, uh, that's the reason why. Engaging in personal attacks. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Ben. Like, I, I'm sure some of my highlights would be like, well, Ben was one of the people listed uh, in the uh, shooting uh, the shooting up of that mosque, uh, the person who did that uh, horrible and uh, atrocious crime had uh, Ben Shapiro as his most viewed uh, source of information. And uh, his video, The Myth of the, the Radical Muslim Minority, uh, specifically was a video that uh, helped radicalize him, which again resulted in a lot of people being dead. Uh, that's the person who's sitting across from me right now. Uh, take it away, Mr. Uh, ben Shapiro. And, uh, you know, sharing our ideas with one another and, you know, with everyone here. So thank you for having me. Well, we love civility, so thank you. So for those of you who, who looked at it, you know, our topic is leading political voices the next generation of leaders. So your thought leaders within your individual, um, within your generation, a generation is much younger than mine. Um, what would you like the people of your generation to know moving forward? Anna, let's start with you. Well, I think that my generation True. is certainly pretty about, passionate wow. about changing and things, down. certainly changing the way that they work and live. Uh, we're seeing that play out currently with the pandemic and the labor shortage that's taking place. And I'd like them to know that we don't really need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we've seen strategies and solutions that have worked in the past. Uh, this country has gone through many terrible things in its history. It's a very short history, you know, relative to other countries. And uh, despite all of those awful things that have happened, things like the Great Depression, for instance, uh, the country was still able to pull through. 
And I, I would suggest looking to history at the solutions that worked, um, specifically a strong labor movement, in order to you know, really rework the power dynamic that we're seeing right now in the workplace. I think a lot of the reasoning for not going back to the jobs that uh, workers were previously working in uh, prior to the pandemic has to do with the fact that, hey, you know, we've been staying home during the lockdown. Uh, now we realize that spending time with our family, having a little free time for ourselves, being able to go outdoors and do recreational things, that's important to us. So they're reimagining what their lives could be like if they take a little bit of power back uh, in the workplace. And I think that that's definitely possible. Um, they just got to fight for it. They got to organize. They got to work together and not get distracted by manufactured culture wars that we see play out in the media every day. And how about folks on your side? So, I mean, I think that for folks on my side, I, I sort of have the same message for, for everybody on all sides, which is that uh, the world did not begin spinning when you were born. Uh, and there's a great amount of wisdom, accumulated wisdom, that has built up over literally thousands of years, uh, in the United States over hundreds of years, uh, that is well worth going back to as a source of both inspiration and understanding of exactly why the system is supposed to weigh, work in a, in a particular way. And that requires a certain understanding of human nature, of human beings, as both capable of amazing things, but also as inherently Yeah, and as capitalists. And why you no, need a actually, system that sorry, is I'm misspeaking, because I had... I on the show, um, she got radicalized by Michael Brooks. Uh, they had a very close relationship, and uh, Michael Brooks actually introduced her to a lot of leftist theory, um, which has pushed her further to the left than she was previously. Ambition with ambition, checks and balances, subsidiarity, the, the belief in, in a federalist system that allows for experimentation on a local level without attempting to cram one-size-fits-all solutions on everybody from the federal level, but that begins with reading history. It does begin with understanding some basic philosophies about how the United States works, because if it feels like the country is coming apart, and it really does feel like that more and more every day, uh, that is because uh, I think that there is a failure to agree on some of the central bases for the country. Bases. So we're either going to have to clarify where the disagreements are or we're going to be in serious trouble as a country. I love the answers because it leads directly into what I want to ask you about next. It's going to be the most obvious statement I'm going to make tonight. The last 18 months have seen significant turmoil, not only with COVID, but with our social, our cultural upheavals as we've seen uh, people, you know, protesting some just horrible, egregious acts. Uh, as you noted, the future of work, how we work, all those things are out there for discussion. Trust in institutions um, and, and, and trust or an understanding, as Ben said, of literally the basis of our society. And I saw a great quote. I mean, we've had the, the 1619 Project. We've had the, uh, the book called 1620, 1776 Commission, all of them designed to push back on that. I saw a great quote from a noted political scientist who said, America is not a lie, but a disappointment, but a disappointment because it is a hope. Would you agree is that, that that's a good description? And would you also agree that the U.S. is an exceptional country? Ben, I'll start with you. I mean, I obviously believe that the United States is an exceptional country. I think that our history is filled with moments of glory. It's also filled with some terrible tragedy and some terrible evil. Uh, there's no question about any of that. Uh, to, to suggest that America is a disappointment is to suggest that utopia is a real place. Uh, or that the, the it, it, whenever you say somebody's a disappointment, you have to say compared to what? Uh, what? What exactly are you shooting for? Compared to the ideal? Of course, everybody's a disappointment. Saints are disappointments compared to the ideal. But if what you're talking about is America as a whole is somehow disappointing compared to, for example, what other countries around the world stand for, or what they have provided to their citizens, or what they have provided to the globe, then by no means is America at this point. And America is a tremendous success story. In fact, it's the greatest success story in world history. <laughs> American exceptionalism. So We're number one. Some parts that I agree with, uh, some parts that I disagree with. Uh, for the most part, I, I just want to note that the idea of America is an incredible uh, idea. Uh, I think that the country has failed to live up to its ideals. Uh, I think that there are certain things that are transpiring as we speak that uh, go unchecked. You know, we are supposed to have a system of checks and balances, but I think more often than not, we see a system that is, in fact, rigged in favor of the powerful. I'll give you specific examples. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, there were lawmakers in the Senate uh, who engaged in... I th like, that would be a tough thing because you definitely derail the whole conversation, but I mean, you could just start by saying that, like, America and its foundation uh, was basically uh, 
founded on genocide and followed the sin of genocide with the second sin of slavery uh, and accrued vast amounts of wealth and power in the process uh, for years and years and years at the expense of the people who are obviously being enslaved and exploited in that process. So the dream of America and then eventually American independence, because again, I mean, you only want to give so much of your taxes and profits to the British before you decide, hey, we're going to cut you loose, uh, is certainly a dark one. And, and so that would be a very, a very opposite way, if that is a word, <laughs> an in-contrast way of representing what Ben Shapiro just did, which is, of course, America is the greatest thing that has ever happened to anyone ever. It's just the greatest country in all of human history. In this minimalizing, just completely minimizing uh, the severity of the pandemic to the point where I actually didn't think that COVID was a serious threat to me, my health, my family's health. Uh, in fact, in February, I went on a cruise True, with Nintendo. my in-laws and had a great time and didn't think that COVID was going to be an issue. Then I find out, uh, of course, a month later, also, everything starts shutting down. Also, just kind of, you know, wrap your head around the idea that, like, nation states uh, themselves can be pretty cringy. And the whole, like, the fervor that we have to get everyone involved in with uh, nationalism and patriotism, you have to, like, we used to have our allegiances to the queen or to the king and to our lords. They were, like, they were our gods and emperors, right? But then once nation states started becoming a more popular thing, as empires grew, as imperialism started to spread them around, it became the very concept itself. It was no longer just the king of England or the queen of England, but it was England, England. England, England herself, the mother England, that is, right? Down, uh, people I know get incredibly sick, and then news reports come out in regard to members of the Senate who had a classified briefing, closed yeah, door like briefing on the severity of COVID, and it's, immediately... It's sports teams where you basically join the team based on a handful of factors, the biggest one being luck, but it's where you're born, you know? It's like, oh, I, I was born within this imaginary line that we've conceived. Okay, well, you're a member of that team now. Cool. I want to join that team, though. That team seems to have better opportunities, oh, more wealth. Yeah. Uh, radical Democrat. Thank you for the writing part, rating party of 31. Uh, that's a new channel to me. Twitch.tv slash der... Well, you know what I should do? I should look up how much money you make, because it's all public now. Um, thank you, Radical Democrat. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody, want to give Radical Democrat a follow back? And I will do the same right now. Thank you. Uh, oh, you're German from Deutschland. I see. Well, uh, I suppose if uh, the people watching this don't understand English, you probably probably don't understand what I'm saying. But at the same time, it's kind of uncanny how many Germans speak incredibly fluent English and in many ways better than I do, which makes me feel kind of silly. Like, there's nothing like going to Nordic countries where every single like country speaks fluent English on top of their languages, which are incredibly complex and difficult. And I'm not saying that Germany is a Nordic country. I know it's not. I'm just saying when I when I went to Denmark for the first time, I was like, oh, my, this is this is pretty wild. Everyone speaks fluent English. Sensational. They turned around and started selling. English is Germanic. That is true. Uh, started buying tech stocks, realizing that people we do, are likely yes, to work. Home. <laughs> so Good on you, Germans. You're great. In, um, well, if you're joining us, we're watching the debate that, between uh, Anna and Ben. That make that possible. Basically, there's insider trading happening within the Senate. And I'm saying it out loud and I'm saying it on a regular basis because that kind of activity, that type of behavior, first of all, is illegal for the average American, should not be legal for members of the Senate. Uh, the fact that we have... <laughs> Very goodly. Good. Well, thank you, Radical Democrat. The fact that we have lawmakers who are personally invested in businesses that they're deciding legislation on 
is unacceptable. So when you talk about the lack of trust in our institutions, I understand that lack of trust. And that lack of trust has led to the situation that we're... Oh, yeah, sorry. And hey, if you're watching this, please, uh, I would encourage you to go to theserfs.tv in lieu of watching it on twitch.tv. The reasons being is that, A, you get to be in this fancy chat... All the emotes are free, so you don't have to pay uh, for any of those emotes. You can just enjoy it. We've democratized them all. But if you do want to support the show, the money goes directly to the show, and none of it goes to Amazon, because uh, Amazon's not great. We're experiencing today with COVID, where people don't believe in what the is telling them, where people question what journalists are reporting about. They just assume... Well, on 125, it also makes the shakiness of the camera look even worse. They just assume that they're being lied to. And and now we find ourselves in this... Xander! Comrade, how are you doing? It's been a while. You must be busy. Uh, Everybody, check out Xander's channel, xcorvus777. He does fundraising for Suede. Uh, They do mutual aid uh, for sex workers in Vegas. Fucking awesome based. He's a fantastic individual. Trying to find solutions. We're trying to come together so we combat COVID effectively, get people back to work so people can thrive, families can thrive. But that's incredibly difficult to do when people don't trust in our institutions. My God, yes, I'm busy. So earlier this evening, we had had some interesting conversations about the way that our culture is broken, the way that civility has broken down. Let me give you a couple of numbers that are actually pretty scary. 15% of Americans have... Well, all the emotes that are on Twitch that Twitch makes you pay to use, they're all they're all free on the surf.tv. But then there's dicks, which is a paid emote. The dicks one, everyone likes the dicks one. That's just it's gotta be the most popular emote on the site now. Terminated a friendship over political differences. The reality is fifty-three percent of the R's have a Democrat friend, only thirty-two percent of Democrats have a Republican friend. Um, granted a lot of that is report is being related to former President Trump. Uh, Kevin Drum. I don't know, but as a liberal journalist with Mother Jones said, quote, if you hate culture wars, blame liberals. You wrote that in. I had, uh, let's just say a libertarian friend-ish in university that we would just argue nonstop about stuff, me being a lefty, him being a libertarian. Uh, He became a QAnoner. And so I have not heard from him in some time. But uh, that was the last time I saw his social media. It was a lot of QAnon stuff. And I was like, makes sense. Washington Monthly. Um, Is it? fair to blame more liberals for the culture divide or is it one that both sides have to take blame for i think that both sides certainly engage in manufactured culture wars and it's frustrating to see it um full disclosure i myself uh have engaged in it and i think instead of being oblivious or delusional about it um it's important to acknowledge when you've made the mistakes right and so the demonizing doesn't help uh, at the end of the day, we have to realize that we're all Americans. We all want the same thing. Fundamentally, we are the same. We might have different solutions, different ideas. Demonizing the other side doesn't help uh, to accomplish any solutions. Again, we're seeing that play out in real time as we speak. Tell them to call the um, I think show. that there's a market for the division, and that market is being exploited by our media. It's being exploited by politicians. Um, and I mean, Facebook is in the news today. I think that Facebook, uh, you know, it makes money based on engagement, and people are engaged in the constant conflict. Um, so it's important to be honest about what the real threats in society are. I think it's important to focus on why it is. I'm sorry, I don't really see much of a debate so far. It just seems like they're both allowed to just make proclamations, but are they actually going to start disagreeing? Uh, particularly the federal government or politics generally is not always based on tax rates or the very minute internecine debates that we have over $3.5 trillion bills that nobody knows what's in and then everybody just votes before they read the thing. Uh, a lot of the way that people engage... Nobody knows what's in. <laughs> 
I, we can, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the, the, I think that a lot of the ways that, that socially there, there's been a pretty strong push uh, from the left over the course of the last 10 years in particular, and it's driven a lot of reactionary resentments on the part of people who are on the right. And I, I would suggest that a lot of the, the support for President Trump, for example, is driven by precisely Select that. It wasn't just about his economic program, which differed from sort of the traditional laissez-faire Republican economic program. A lot of it was about the idea that he was a culture warrior who was going to punish enemies and, and, and all of this. And so to pretend that the culture war either doesn't exist or that people are making it up in their imagination or that they are overestimating the impact on their life is to ignore how people are being treated in the spaces that they treat with every day, on Facebook, on Twitter, in the workplace. I mean, one of the reasons that my family and I left California is not just because of the living standard, although Florida is way better. Uh, it is also because you know, we, we left a place where we felt as though our children were going to be socially ostracized, for a place where we feel our children are not going to be socially ostracized, and that's a big thing. <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> I moved out of California. Let's be clear, okay? Him uh, and everyone else who moved out of like that whole region, they were just basically, they could not stand to stare at the pores anymore. But the fact that they're like, California... Uh, our children will be ostracized for their views, which we will decide what their views will be for them. So they're going to be ostracized because they will be, of course, highly conservative. Let's go to Florida, where everything's wonderful. Ain't nothing wrong with Florida, except, you know, the incredibly high rates of COVID and all that. But still. Yeah. No, I mean, you actually brought up a few issues that I agree with. Um, number one issue is the constant policing of people's past, what they've said in the past. I think holding people to uh, the current standards based on the current culture. Um, you know, if, if you're looking at tweets, for instance, from 2009, and you're judging that tweet based on what the current culture or the current standards are, it's a little ridiculous, right? So going around demonizing people based on their past statements, um, it, it shuts down a conversation that could be had, right? A conversation about, oh, hey, look, society has actually progressed on this, and, you know, look at what was okay. I mean, you, you have late-night hosts who were in blackface not too long ago, right? But the culture has changed. I think that, you know... I, uh, I have a prime minister that wears blackface. Society as a whole, not everyone, but society as a whole has realized, oh, well, blackface has a pretty terrible history, and maybe it's not a good idea to dress like that as like a cute little Halloween uh, costume. But beside the point, you know, I don't think that the culture wars are, are fake. I think the culture wars are taking place. The point that I'm trying to make is that oftentimes, whatever the culture war is of that moment, it is manufactured as a distraction. A perfect example will be, you know, critical race theory, which is not taught in elementary schools. Critical race theory is a graduate level... Uh, curriculum no and the fact that Less it's turned into some weird like oh we need to ban critical race theory in elementary schools it's ridiculous and a massive distraction that I think is intentionally meant to be a distraction from what people are really feeling frustrated about the precariousness of their lives of their work lives uh, the fact that people feel overworked that they have no control over the work that they're doing that they feel alienated over the work that they're doing. These are very real issues, and I think that, you know, the fact that it's really largely been ignored by both the press and the very political leaders who were elected to represent them in the first place has led to the anger that we're seeing bubbling up both on the left and the right. Ben, I think you wanted to make a couple comments. Yeah, I mean, this will be a very quick note. I mean, I obviously disagree with you about critical race theory and whether it is taught in the public schools. Critical race theory, which I studied in law school, it started off as a legal theory, but it has an element of praxis and practice uh, that was meant to be implemented, which is why it is taught in education schools as well and why... In elementary very, schools? Yes, though? a very boiled down... I mean, Ibram X. Kendi is, is preaching a very boiled down version of critical race theory, and his book is assigned in elementary schools. I mean, the fact is that when you are having elementary school students who are having to check off boxes it's not taught in elementary schools. Why are they still peddling this lie? With regard to their race and then explain to each other whether they are historically privileged or not in fourth or fifth grade. That's that's a very dumbed down version of critical race theory. There's sort of a game that gets played with regard to legal theories that end up. <laughs> so it's not critical race theory, but it's it's even more insidious. It's it's a dumbed down version of it. All right. We're getting the kids early. 
being boiled down intersectionality. Like PragerU has a PragerU for kids now, where they teach them about the benefits of capitalism and patriotism. That is indoctrination for children. Come on, Ben. He's another great example of this. Kimberly Crenshaw writes a very intelligent law review article about intersectionality and how you can be a member of more than one minority group and be discriminated against in a variety of ways. And then that is used as the basis for a much broader move in American political life. And then as soon as you point that out, they say, well, that's not intersectionality. It's the original law review article. That's a bit of no true Scotsman games playing. And so I, I object to that. And, and look, it is a relevant issue when you have Terry McAuliffe, who's running for governor of Virginia, literally saying in open debate that it should not be parents who are making educational decisions for their children. It should be the people Get in the education. Kids on I mean, that, that is a cultural yeah, war issue no that is of key importance to people who have kids, right? Well, see, I mean, I think that that's part of what leads to the lack of trust in our institutions. I mean, yes, as a parent, you get to make decisions about which school you want your kid to go to. If you're uncomfortable with the public school curriculum, you can take a look at private school options. Um, if you don't want that, you can homeschool. Uh, but who gets to be the, I mean, if we're talking about parents making those decisions, who gets to be the arbiter of, you know, which parent gets to be the arbiter of what gets taught in any particular public school? I, I'm, I'm not really buying that they're learning about critical race theory or even a boiled down, I'm, I'm sure, I'm positive that, you know, elementary schools are not learning about systemic race and even if they are, uh, even if it's a boiled down version of that, learning about systemic racism is important. I think that that's and something that's thing. an issue in this country that uh, gets ignored or completely denied. And I think that's wrong. I think that's what also leads to the division that we're experiencing. Well, that's, right that's going to be the major cultural issue, right? Because the fact is that I, as a parent, believe that if you're going to. Do you think that, there's no systemic racism? I believe that it depends on how you define systemic racism. So if you're talking <laughs> about legal regimen of racism, no. If you're talking about history, it has after effects, of course. So I think there's a real problem with semantic overload in a lot of our political conversations. And when people say systemic racism, sometimes what they mean by systemic racism is... <laughs> I, I love how he's like, there's a problem with semantic overloads in our discourse. By the way, let's get down to the pedantry of what do you mean by systemic racism? Can we please discuss that? Because your version is not the same version that I like to adhere to. History has consequences. You can't have 150 years of, oh, well, 300 years of slavery followed by Jim Crow and, uh, and that not have after effect, which of course is true. And sometimes what they mean is that every inequality in American public life is due to some systemic inequity that is currently taking place in the United States, which I think is absolutely 100% false. I mean, we certainly see that playing out in our criminal justice system. Are, are you going to deny that? Or are you going to say that, let's say, African-Americans or Latinos are just inherently more criminal? Or I'm not going to say either of those things. I'm going right. to say that so why are they overrepresented well, in our prisons, I mean, especially be, when you consider... This may be beyond the scope of our conversation, but the right. answer is because not all groups commit crimes at the same level. That has nothing to do with genetics. That has right. everything to do so, with circumstances. Can you guys hold your thoughts on culture. education? Because I do want to get back to some of that, too. But sure. let me move on to something. No, don't let them leave. Ugh. Yeah, he was going to get to the culture part. He was probably going to get to that. That's that's where it usually goes, right? It's like, it's not in vogue anymore to be like, well, it's because they're genetically inferior, you see. We've weighed their brains, and it seems like the black brain weighs less than the white brain. But it is uh, still uh, in fashion to be able to say, well, it happens to do with their culture. And uh, unfortunately, it's because uh, there's fatherless parents, uh, you know, the dynamics, uh, the hip-hop, uh, the, the worship of criminality, gangs, stuff like that. That That is truly why this is uh, happening the way it is. But we can we can fix this, okay? Something else we talked about. Um, we talked about the trust issue, and there's some yeah. very interesting yeah, surveys out there on trust. Uh, Gallup did a survey. There's a drop across the board in trust in all institutions, except law enforcement, which is very interesting. Um, Congress, sorry for my friends there, is the lowest. Uh, media is down there almost as low as Congress. Those that rank the highest were small business and the military. So this low media rank, is that fair, or is that being manufactured as part of a culture war? Uh, Oh, it's okay. fair. I mean, it's entirely fair. I mean, it's, it's, I think that 
one of the things that we've seen for both good and bad, the, the, the fragmentation of media is a result of systemic distrust in the media, and that's existed for a very long time, I and mean, that's nothing new. Uh, and I think that it's completely fair for people to look at the media. I know there are people on the left who think that the media is too right-wing. Right? Uh, obviously, we on the right think that, that the media is far too left-wing. Um, but I think that, that that sort of distrust in media sources is very often justified. I think that we're requiring more of people than we used to in the past, because once... This has nothing to do with the debate, but I just noticed like Chico's dreaming about something. He's got his tongue out right now. Can you see that? <laughs> tongue is hanging out of his mouth <laughs> oh you're too cute chico too cute for this world too pure for this world i say Since people have realized that there's an inherently political angle to how people cover the news now we're asking them if you want a full rounded diet you actually have it's to choose it yourself blip. right you have to cultivate yourself to watch the young turks and then watch my show and decide who you agree with and where there's sort of a common locus of fact that's the fact and everything else is the opinion that's asking a lot of viewers where we didn't used to ask very much of viewers at all right you just turn on the evening news and buy whatever walter cronkite is saying whether it's true or not um i, I think most americans waking up to that is a good thing uh the systemic lack of trust in media has some bad downstream effects sometimes because when there are no gatekeepers there are no gatekeepers so i like the fact that there are no gatekeepers because i think the, the gatekeepers were very often biased but without gatekeepers sometimes bad stuff gets through yeah, I mean, I think that so, right now we're experiencing... So basically, everything I just said was pointless and meaningless. <laughs> I both like that there's alternative media, and it's also a really bad thing that there's alternative media. People existing in various filter bubbles. So uh, if you are, for instance, uh, consuming most of your news online, if you like a particular brand of programming, uh, if you, let's say, lean more conservative and you're watching mostly... Uh, this is going to be so distracting in the middle of this debate, but there's an entire Reddit thread about dogs sticking their tongues out. And it's called a blop. These are blops. <laughs> the internet, I tell you. Never change, internet. Conservative news. Algorithms offer up more and more conservative news. And so when you get a... If you have preconceived notions and all of a sudden you're hearing or reading something that challenges those preconceived notions, you're going to have a negative reaction to it. And you see that playing out across the board. I'll give you an example. I mean, I have family members who are constantly consuming news online. Um, my mom's a good example, right? She's, uh, you'd be surprised she's my mom because she's on Facebook. She clicked on a link to, let's say, the Daily Wire. Perfect example. Well, Facebook is going to be offering up more Daily Wire type content. And then all of a sudden when she's watching The Young Turks, she'll be like, well, you know, I read on Facebook or I read on the Daily Wire, whatever. Uh, that X, Y, and Z happened, and you're wrong, right? Um, that conversation doesn't actually happen that often. But I'm giving you an example. I was hopeful example, there for a second. Right? And so, <laughs> so, look, there are all sorts of issues with the media, right? I mean, the, the media, for the longest time, completely ignored the very real frustrations that workers have been feeling in this country. I mean, the Federal Reserve released data indicating that nearly half of Americans can't even afford a $400 emergency. At the same time, you tune into CNN, CNBC, MSNBC. I mean, it doesn't matter across the board. And they're like, the economy is doing great. Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, record growth. And what they're specifically talking about is the stock market. Yeah, and also they're they're always like, hey, by the way, we're seeing also an incredible surge in jobs. There's more jobs than ever before, and it's like, well, yeah, but these aren't like really good jobs that are like they have uh, Medicare uh, associated with them. They are contract uh, jobs typically. Uh, they're going to be a lot of app economy jobs. Like we are creating new forms of work, but that doesn't mean that this work is better for humanity or better for people. But the stock market is disconnected from the reality that the majority of workers Real Faustus. So I Thank think you for that, the that type Appreciate of stuff you. leads to uh, people feeling, you know, distrustful toward the press. At the same time, they exist in these filter bubbles and have their preconceived notions. It's hard to challenge that. So there's a lot of different things happening at the same time. I don't blame people for not being so trusting of the media. One other thing that I'll note is that the incentives are always in the wrong place. 
the kind of stories that I want to talk about on the Young Turks and do talk about on the Young Turks get no attention. They don't do well in terms of the number of views. I want to talk about international news. I want to talk about what's happening in Brazil. I want to talk about what's happening in Ecuador. It'll get like maybe 40,000 views at most. You know what gets a lot of views? I don't know. Anna Kasparian destroys this person. Or here, here's the latest cat fight. Like, I or hate Trump. it. It's garbage. It's garbage. Talking about Trump. Because it leads to people not trusting the press, but at the same time, the profits are there. The money is there. And I think you see that play out across the board, whether you're talking about cable news or online media. Uh, yeah, and at the, at the dinner table, we're having an interesting conversation. It's clearly a generational thing. My generation grew up watching Walter Cronkite and uh, Huntley and Brinkley and all, and all these folks. And one of the things that I saw in your bio was that you got interested in this field because of Barbara Walters. So what happens now to the Barbara Walters? I mean, where does news reporting go? Are we going to, will the nightly news be a thing of the past? And are we simply going to continue to retreat to those mediums that, that demonstrate that we know everything already? Where's, where's this going to go now? Well, let me just note, I, I loved Barbara Walters on ABC's 2020. <laughs> so I remember um, as a kid, you know, like getting super excited after TGIF was over because uh, ABC's 2020 would be on. And I, I was like fascinated by the fact that this woman was getting paid to talk to these incredibly interesting people from around the world. And I was just fascinated by the conversations. That's how I got interested in journalism and the media. But I just feel like the type of conversations that she had or just news about world events they don't seem to attract the kind of attention that they used to. And it might be because of an oversaturated market. It might be because conflict tends to sell. Um, manufactured conflicts tend to sell. Um, but it's, I wish we can get back to a place where journalism still really existed, where there was like ethical standards that, were, you know, that reporters abided by, anchors abided by. I wish there was a clear distinction between opinion and actual hard news journalism. You know, this is what I talk about with my journalism students whenever I have the time to teach. Uh, I always tell them, I'm like, look, there's a difference between what I do, which is yeah, TV countries. We are, we are certainly not the lowest on the totem pole in terms of our corporate tax rate. In fact, you know, right-wing sources like the Heritage Foundation will say that it is much friendlier to do business in places like Denmark or Sweden in many cases than it is to do business in the United States. Tax rate's pretty high in Denmark and Sweden. <laughs> it is, the personal income tax rate is very high in Denmark and Sweden. The corporate tax rate is basically near or on par with that of the United States. If we were to raise our corporate tax rate the way that, that President Biden is talking about, we'd actually have a higher corporate tax rate than China currently does. Uh, the, the, the notion that corporations Sweet. ought to be paying tax at all, in my view, is mistaken, given the fact that the income is immediately either reinvested in the company or passed on to people who immediately pay all of that tax. By the time the, by the time you actually receive... <laughs> all of that tax. So that's how it works with major corporations. The All the surplus money that they make, they just reinvest right back into the company. I didn't know that. That's cool. That's, that's, that's nifty your income in this country, the income's been taxed about seven different ways. Right? You're getting taxed through the corporation, then it's passed on to you as salary, which is taxed. If you invest it in the stock market and then you sell your stock, that is taxed as capital gains tax. When you die, the government taxes that as well. So how many times can you tax the same dollar before people begin to disinvest? I feel like this is a, a conservative crowd because they're loving all of his points. Um. Let me... Um... I'd like to respond to that, though. Okay, go ahead. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I, to argue that the uh, corporate tax rates in the United States are too high, or that you know, I mean, first off, let me just touch on the comparison you gave regarding uh, tax, progressive taxes uh, in European countries versus the United States. I mean, yes, the taxes might be higher in those European countries, but what do people living in those countries get in return? They get incredible childcare. I mean, listen, uh, the average American family, two-income household, spends a whopping 22% of their household income on childcare alone, right? So 
when you're talking about European countries that offer quality childcare, that by the way, that opens up the opportunity for people to go to work, something that we should maybe think about as we're dealing with this labor shortage, 64,000 women left the job force in April alone. Not because they want to, but because they can't afford yeah, childcare. Everything in this country is privatized. Curiosity, 1,003. Thanks and for the prime. there's consequences that Appreciate come along you. with that, including for the business community that might want, you know, a more robust social safety net uh, program, social safety net to ensure that people feel comfortable enough to go to work, uh, but we don't have that here. So yes, people might pay more in taxes, including those lower on the income scale, but what they time. get in return is far greater <laughs> than what Look people at that in this country have been getting. The United States has spent since the war on poverty some Blop. $22 Blop. trillion dollars in the war on poverty. We spend an awful lot on social services in this country on a per capita level. In fact, it is very much on par with what the European countries spend. It's just not spent particularly well. Uh, when it comes to things like child care, uh, a very young Elizabeth Warren, before she became Senator Elizabeth Warren, specifically wrote about universal child care, and she said that it actually was contributing to what she called the two-income track in a, in a book that she wrote in the early 2000s. And what she talked about is the fact that there are a lot of women who, for example, may not want to work, and what you're actually doing is incentivizing people to have to go to work because you're now providing child care, as opposed to providing a competitive advantage to, for example, families where one parent is is working. Uh, I agree with you, by the way, that you know childcare is a very difficult issue. I also agree that this is why we used to have, for example, family structures that were conducive to allowing people to help out. We had, we there, there are many businesses that do provide for some form of childcare. We certainly have many businesses that provide for some form of maternity or paternity leave. The, the European countries, which obviously have been used as a model by by a lot of folks on the left, between 1970 and 1993, they experienced exorbitantly low rates of growth. And the reason for that was because they radically overburdened That's their the social safety net systems. It created enormous social problems. It created enormous immigration problems. So they had to scale a lot of those back. And why, your, but why, why would it create immigration problems? It created immigration problems because a lot of people were coming specifically for the benefits. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, that, that would be, that'd be yeah. my point, which is it creates more yeah. problems very often than it's I mean, but I mean... It, Sure, I guess that's a yes, in your, if I put a in free donut view, sign like, in my shop, people will come for this. No, but if you have if you have a robust if you have a society that actually takes care of its workers, right? If you have a society that makes your life a lot easier, people are going to want to immigrate. It's part of the reason why at, at you know, people wanted to come here. People are going to want to live in countries that have both economic opportunity, but, the but immigration, also the, the social safety net programs China. that, again, just make your... I mean, we talk about freedom. If you look at the World Freedom Index, okay, we like to think of the United States as the freest country. We're not the freest country. You look at that list, we're, like, pretty low down compared to a lot of these Nordic countries. Denmark is t top of that list. So, look, Denmark has a mixed economy. When we have these debates about, ooh, socialism versus capitalism, I think that those debates are a little ridiculous because every country is Suck a, them. well, not every country, but most countries are mixed economies. Yeah, right. The United States right? is a mixed economy. Mixed, sure, you, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Now, the, it, the issue with the United States is there used to be a time when public universities were free, right? You didn't have to dig yourself into a massive hole to get an education. There was a time in this country where there was universal child care. That was cut down to the point where it's like no longer in existence unless you're desperate and have like no money and need to take advantage finally. of some programs that are available in some states. But my point is like we have an issue here where on one hand, you know, we're experiencing a labor shortage. We want people to go back to work. On the other hand, people literally can't afford the childcare necessary in order to put their kids in a daycare, put their kids in childcare and be able to go to work so the, the, without the, their the, entire paycheck. I just want to see the actual, I haven't looked at this in a while. But, oh, God, what have I done? Okay, so the top 10 would be New Zealand, Switzerland, Hong Kong, Canada at four. Nice. Australia, Denmark, Luxembourg, Finland, Germany, and then Ireland. And then the bottom 10 are Syria, Venezuela, Yemen, Sudan, Iraq, Egypt, Libya, Algeria, Iran, and Ethiopia. Now, where does the good old US of A? Oof, really far down. So, right around here. United States, human freedom ranked at 8.46. Well, I'm oh, sorry, this goes from bottom up. So it's not 
terrible US. I mean, this is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th place. Um, and this is determined by the rule of law, security and safety, identity and relationship, size of the government, legal systems and property rights, access to sound money, freedom to trade internationally, expression and information, religion, movement, association, assembly, and civil society. The Biden, bill, the Biden bill removes many work requirements for many of the payments that are being made to people, and it's incentivizing people not to go back to work, which is why we have 10 million open people not coming back that's to work. Not, that is not what that bill does. In fact, that's not what that bill does. Right? Whoa, don't stop her. Stop it. Moderator, what is the point of you? Are you just there any time that she's about to get a dunk on Ben to be like, all right, I'm just going to stop you before you make a salient point because uh, I don't want that to happen. And then, uh, Ben, can you say something uh, right afterwards? Uh, the $3.5 trillion reconciliation I'm talking about the $3.5 trillion bill. The $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill offers removed. universal pre-K, which opens up the opportunity for mothers to go to work if they want to go to work. The $3.5 trillion bill, by the way, has all sorts of subsidies for corporations, which I don't really understand why the business community isn't salivating over that, because rather than just going up. full force with public programs... It's kind of a situation where Ben has to hate it regardless of what the content of it is. And I mean, he said himself, he's like, it's a $3.5 trillion spending bill that no one truly understands. Um, that amount really uh, is being disingenuously advertised to the public as being something that is just like an instant price tag, like $3.5 trillion. Like, you're going to have to pay that right away. It's $350 million a year. In the same way that the Trump tax cuts, apparently, are going to make Americans pay to the tune of like $6.9 trillion over the same period of time. So this whole, like, how are we going to pay for it? Well, it's because it's, you know, in indir yeah, indirectly going to give a lot of benefits to poorer Americans, which I think is one of the reasons why he hates it so much. Which I think would be the right way to go. It's offering all sorts of subsidies uh, in these, you know, public-private partnerships. Now, the physical infrastructure bill has a lot more corporate giveaways, which is why the, you know, business community absolutely loves it. Offers the chance to privatize public infrastructure, which is why the business community absolutely loves it. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we don't create a society where Americans can actually... That's kind of a recipe for disaster when that happens, though, you know, if you just leave it up to private corporations to look after things like your infrastructure, I mean, you don't have to look very far. Like, what happened to Texas when Texas decided to privatize their electrical grid and separate it from the uh, federally monitored one? And then all of a sudden it was a for-profit system in which, you know, individuals were suddenly having to pay exorbitant amounts once different parts of the state were going down electricity-wise have families and go to work, then we're going to be yeah, a lot or Florida of Florida. So to to you made a uh, mention a moment ago of people immigrating to the country for the benefits. That's just right. abjectly untrue. The fact is that the United States' great immigration growth throughout the beginning of the Republic, all the way up through about 1930, was entirely driven by people who were leaving places that in many cases had broader benefits, places like Germany, to yeah. come to the United States where there was no social safety net. The fact is that the vast majority... No, they weren't coming for the social safety. I am coming to America for the welfare. It's because there's better economic opportunities there. And that's always going to be what drives immigration. That's like the number one factor. People are going to move. And unless they're fleeing, uh, you know, uh, oppression in their country of origin. And it's kind of like a refugee status thing. But otherwise, yeah, it's always going to be there's more economic opportunities here than I currently have in my home country of people who used to leave and come to the United States were coming specifically to build a life knowing that they really didn't have a lot of social safety net. Now, that's not an argument that there shouldn't be some state and local possibility for social safety net, but the notion that the way that you build a successful country that is a world power and is capable of not only making sure that... The Wait, did he say 1930s? Fleeing Germany in 1930s? Was that... <laughs> 
I, I just can't wrap my head around why anyone would want to leave Germany in the 1930s. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to think about. <laughs> are taken care of, but essentially making sure that the entire Western world is taken care of, which we did throughout the Cold War. The idea that you do that simply by raising the number of social security payments that you're making to people or benefit payments that you're making to people, that this is the way that you build that sort of economy, is just not borne out by empirical Okay, we've fact. had a real far-ranging conversation. Yes. Ben, let me ask you another question. <clears throat> Our organization is one that on a daily basis supports whatever you want to call it, the free market system, system oh, of uh, economic right. choice. It was disturbing to me, and I think to our organization, when the National Education Association uh, looked at a resolution, I believe it passed one of their committees, that called the free market system one of oppression, but didn't call out other totalitarian regimes. So what does it say when our educators don't seem to believe in the free market system? Well, I mean, obviously, I love this question. So uh, I, I will say that the, the National Education Association is a very far-left group, and so it's not a particular surprise that they're ca characterizing uh, freedom of the market in, in that particular way. It also goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about what sort of control parents should have over the education of their own children. There's a reason I send my kids to private school. Uh, the, the notion that, that capitalism is a system of unfreedom, while government largesse is a system of freedom, ignores the fact that somebody actually has to pay the bills. It also ignores the fact that all growth, not some, all growth that has ever happened is a result of capitalism, meaning it is the result of free market transactions in which people consent to services and goods from other people, in which people innovate and make new products. There's a reason that we're not still riding horses and buggies around. That is because of innovation. It's because of incentive structures. It's because people get to keep the fruit of their own labor and then use those fruits of their own labor in order to invest in things. The, the true growth in the American economy was never just a question of dollars and cents. It was what you got for those dollars and cents. All of that is driven by entrepreneurs who are willing to take risks. And when you disincentivize risk, you end up disincentivizing people from taking those risks. As we become a, a much more wage-based society, and that, that has happened for a large segment of the population, that means that you are incentivizing people to not take those risks and, and countries that don't have people taking those risks end up being countries that economically stagnate. Yeah. So those are the ideas that actually, funny enough, um, have been repeated over and over again in our education system. The idea that, you know, children or students in this country are taught that capitalism is evil is, is new to me because I certainly did not get that type of education. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact. Uh, you know, freedom is an interesting way of framing it because the fact of the matter is if you are financially stable, if you are, you know, in the top 10% of this country, for instance, you probably feel incredibly free. You have options, endless options available to you. You probably have a nice nest egg. You have a little bit of that economic freedom. But, you know, there are two different things at play. Number one, well, when you look at what is incentivized under capitalism. It's actually led to a lot of our own civil liberties being violated. For instance, data collection that takes place on a regular basis without our own knowledge by these uh, social media companies, by these tech companies who make their money not off of advertising, for instance, they make the majority of their money off of selling our personal information to data brokers. It's part of the reason why there are infinite websites right now, uh, so-called data brokers, that just sell our personal information, including where we live, what our phone number is, where we've worked. Um, I don't really feel very free when I'm terrified about my own safety because there's a you know, company that's literally making money off of selling my personal information. So there are certain uh, incentives under capitalism that actually do infringe upon our civil liberties and our rights. So that, that's one thing that I want to note. But the other thing I want to note is, how free do you feel if you're on the precipice of financial ruin? if you can't afford uh, paying for a medical emergency that you're experiencing? What do you do when you don't have health insurance, which tens of millions of Americans right now don't have because of the exorbitant prices associated with it? How free do you feel if you're a wage worker who has not experienced your real wages increase in literally decades? Wages have not kept up with inflation. So how free do you feel when you want to leave your job, but you can't 
because your health care benefits are tied to that work or tied to that job. I mean, freedom, again, is an interesting way of framing it because I would venture to say that there's a significant portion of the population in the United States, significant portion of workers in this country that do not, in fact, feel free, in fact, have uh, experienced the precarious nature of a capitalistic system that forces them to work endlessly, if they're lucky, in a full-time job, if they're unlucky, in several part-time jobs that they cobble together with no benefits just to make ends meet. Let, I'll give you 30 seconds because yeah, I want to move on something thing. with that. I, I'll just say I think that there's a bit of a definitional game that, that, that's very often played with the, the word freedom. Freedom obviously has two separate meanings. Isaiah Berlin talked extensively about the difference between positive liberty and negative liberty. What you're talking about are things that people need and things that people want, and that is not the same thing as liberty. I'm talking about you what know? people need. People need health care. I, I don't disagree that people need health care, but to characterize that as a freedom is a very different thing. If the, if the goal of the government is to provide you the opportunity to seek things Right, then, then that is not the same thing as the government providing those things to you directly, nor is it the, nor is it the same thing as the government seizing that thing from one person and giving it to you here. To, to, to characterize it as freedom is a real mischaracterization. Again, I'm happy to discuss whether or not we should change the programming here, but I think that the, the sleight of hand that's played by equating freedom of speech, for example, or freedom from being murdered on the street, uh, or, or freedom to, to dispose of your capital as you see fit, to, to, to characterize that in the same language that we'd use to discuss why you need a house, uh, that's, that's, it's, it's a difference in kind. It's apples oh, and oranges. Yeah. yeah. So let, me, let me just quickly... Okay, guys, good. So I want to ask you a question. Point, go ahead, go ahead. Because, uh, you know, this I, Dan Simpson, I just got back. Good timing. Welcome in. Uh, everybody, can you please go to twitch.tv slash Simpson? He's a very cool, chill lefty. Good dude. All around swell guy. And uh, if you go to twitch.tv slash Simpson, you can find his channel. He's got a, an interview with me as well on the YouTubes. We're just uh, watching the, or we're just finishing the Anna Kasparian versus Ben Shapiro debate. And then uh, we're going to move on to some more silly stuff. Uh, this has been a, a little slow, but I think Anna did very well. I mean, I think she's she's basically debating in front of a conservative audience um, uh, with a conservative and a conservative like panel hoster. So there's all that as well. Of taking something from one person, and giving it to a, you know the redistribution issue, which I think oftentimes is uh, framed inaccurately. You know, when we talk about redistribution of wealth. I mean, look at the amount of money that gets invested by our federal government in the form of research and development, whether we're talking about pharmaceutical companies or even companies like Tesla. The seed money from Tesla did not come from private investors. In fact, the same year that Obama's administration invested in the failed Solyndra project, they also invested the same amount into Tesla. And guess what? Tesla ended up being a massive success. The only downside to it, though, is that now you have Elon Musk, who's whining and crying about having to pay his fair share of taxes, when during the pandemic he became, for a brief period of time, the richest man literally in the world, right? So we I agree with you about subsidies, by the way. Right. Yeah. So Welcome to libertarianism. <laughs> so look, but look, those investments need to be made. That research and development needs to take place because private investors are not willing to take the risks necessary. It's true. That, that is, that is I mean, fundamentally untrue. The federal government's research and development is what led to the internet. I mean, it's a huge part of it. The, the fact Look, that the government is a grab bag of cash does mean... Okay, I'm sorry. i got to call out Anna here. That's a complete and utter lie. Uh, it was Al Gore who invented the internet. The answer you were looking for is Al Gore. Al Gore invented the internet. But, uh, you know, good, good show. The government will eventually invest in some things that are worthwhile. It'll also invest in an awful lot of enormous piles of crap, okay, right? The fact is, if you don't bear the risk of the downside, you're going to make a lot of bad investments. We've listen. got a few more questions, and I want to get through, and we've got four and a half minutes. So, Anna, you had said earlier, comment about education, that people can choose to send their kids elsewhere. We are an organization. Oh, so this is what they are. Okay, what are they? The Pennsylvania Chamber of Business and Industry, a statewide voice of business, was founded on December 16th, 1916, by a group of more than 100 influential business leaders from across the Commonwealth who recognized the need for unified voice for business in the halls of the state capitol. Our mission is to advocate for job creation and lead Pennsylvania to a greater prosperity for its residents. 
Headquarters in Harrisburg with the staff in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Lennon Valley, and Hazleton. Today's PA Chamber is a large, broad-based business association in Pennsylvania. Our membership comprises of close to 10,000 members of businesses of all size and industry sectors throughout the state for sole proprietors of Fortune 100 companies, representing nearly 50% of the private workforce in the Commonwealth. Business advocacy is at the heart of our work, with a full-time staff experience of business lobbyists and an active political action committee, legislative issue work groups, and grassroots action uh, networks. Oh, my. Once laws and regulations are enacted, our organization is dedicated to helping members understand and easily follow the complexities of complying with state and federal workplace rules, educational services. I mean, this doesn't sound as bad. It doesn't sound like a horrifying right-wing think tank. It's more just like a pro-business conservative outlet. Um, word count for business in the text. I know. We like the word business. It's business. I told you. Business. Business. Business is good. You like business. Is this sped up? It's um, 125. That or Ben Shapiro is just speaking incredibly quickly choice, And we've got a lot of kids in this state and others that are sentenced to underperforming schools solely by virtue of their zip code. Mm -hmm. uh, we tell families in this commonwealth, um, that's your school. We would never tell them that's your supermarket, that's your doctor, that's your dentist. You get to choose. Because, and a lot You're the moderator. What are you doing? <laughs> Stop talking. Moderate. <laughs> it, it does happen a lot where people will take something that has worked in Sweden or something that's worked in Norway or something that's worked in Finland and they'll say, what if we just take that, import it here, and it'll work exactly the same way? Uh, and it typically does not work. Uh, the fact is that, that Finnish Americans Citation make more money in the United States than they do in Finland, for example. They have longer life expectancies in the United States than they do in Finland. Okay. Hey, how about, how about this one? You spend more than any other developed nation on healthcare and you get piss poor results. So clearly something's wrong. It's not just the money's keep throwing all the monies at it it's still utterly fucked there has to be something else going on it's probably all gore the event also requires vaccination or a negative covid test Ooh, oh my it's a giant corporation suck fest and all the chambers of the commerce aren't yeah no you're wrong he invented the man bear pig on the internet oh that's right no well, both the, the simpsons that said that al gore invented the internet and it's the south park says that al gore made man bear pig i know my cartoons americans are true of nordic life expectancy in finland is much higher than the united states no you're correct hold states, on hold it's on. only 78 no years, which is by the way Anna, comparable Anna, to cuba Anna, Anna, nice. hold on a second. Mm -hmm. you're correct the life expectancy in finland is longer than life expectancy in the united states that's not what i said i said the life expectancy for finnish americans is longer oh, in the it. united states that is an apple <laughs> to apple comparison as opposed to comparing completely different populations bodied bodied and destroyed population encompasses an enormous number of people who have very different beliefs about how you're proving her point it's like finnish americans have a lower life expectancy okay fine yeah uh it turns out that the medical system and having medicare for all or at least a comparable thing in another country such as a nordic country is a good thing having people not go bankrupt every single time they have a problem like a medical problem is a good thing it leads to better outcomes <laughs> yes but what about finnish americans education ought to be done. To suggest that any national standard of education is going to not only please all of those people, but prove to be successful in such a wide variety of circumstances for some 330 million And I should get credit for going into the lion's den. I agree, Jeff. I agree. No, I think she did fine. I think, like, obviously, she's playing to her crowd. Uh, my biggest criticism of this would be that I don't think she's pushing nearly far enough, but you don't get up there in front of a room full of conservatives and just start going full lefty, right? Like, if you got up there and you were like, well, I want to talk to all of you about the exploitation of labor, uh, the surplus uh, labor value, as well as uh, maybe a little bit about uh, dialectical materialism we can get into some of that they would be like what is this strange language you're trying to like is this Klingon I, I don't listen to this what, what is she saying I, I, turn off please We've tried this with a gradually, not gradually, radically increasing federal education budget over the course of the last 30 years. And what we've got is failing public schools all over the United States, except in specific local areas where there have been attempts to take back control locally. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see more, local, uh, more localization. And frankly, I'm quite pleased. Good research, by the way, Chad. I love when you all just like band together to find us the stuff behind the stuff. 
Put your business in the spotlight at the premier gathering of the business leaders and lawmakers. High value in-person and virtual sponsorships are available. Click here for sponsorship levels associated with blah, 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 blah. exclusive diamond co-sponsors. Highmark, United, Concordial Dental, ooh, the Giant Company, ooh, Geisinger, Comcast, Universal, Hershey, Hershey, a two Hershey, a two. Oh, Hershey Entertainment and Resorts, not the chocolate uh, factory. Uh, Independence, uh, UPMC Health Plan, UPMC Life Changing Medicine. So these are probably uh, insurance companies, I would assume. Uh, UGI Energy Services, Cozen O'Connor, DoorDash. Fuck you, DoorDash. You assholes. I need to stop using you. Ugh. Uh, FedEx Ground. Uh, Silver Sponsors, AP Energy. Uh, so we got Energy, Gas of Pennsylvania. Here we go. Nice. First National Bank. Verizon. Fucking Verizon. Verizon, you cheap motherfuckers. Are you kidding me? Silver sponsor? You're one of the biggest telecom companies in the world. You fucking cheap. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, A town is named Hershey and so is a hockey team. Really? Asian Sailor. Thank you for the tier one. Appreciate you. It's based in PA. Ah, gotcha. Basic income is not going to solve that issue. Uh, but if we decide, okay, maybe we're going to experiment with this on top of providing a much more robust social safety net, uh, then maybe we're having a conversation. But to me, the issue of uh, UBI is, is less less interesting. Okay, final question. We're almost out of time. Um, oh, boo. Go, they can't go over too long because then <laughs> I get the hook. Um, we've talked a lot about where we're going and a lot of pessimism. Do you need something called Hordash, which helps sex workers and clients? Yeah, but the biggest thing would be safety, wouldn't it? Like, that's one of the biggest problems with sex workers who have to do, like, on-call service. Don't they, like, run into a lot of trouble? Uh, Ghost Dunk. Thank you. Uh, it's the Micro Machine Man presenting the most... I can't read. That's too much for us. Yeah. Lance learns U.S. state postal codes. No, never. I refuse. Um, they need... Uh, all clients should be verified... To not have a criminal record. The name is great. I'll write a scene about it. Uh, that is actually... Uh, uh, are you writing and directing now? Good for you. Um, but uh, what was I going to say, Xander, in relation to sex workers? Oh, I was meaning to ask this to you. Maybe you can answer it in the chat. Uh, I watched Mexi's recent video on sex work uh, and people who hire sex workers, obviously, for like full-service uh, sex work, and how, obviously... It should never be, especially in leftist circles, but just in general, something that people shame. Like, you shouldn't shame sex workers, and obviously, right? Um, but then it was the idea that we should also not promote or endorse uh, the people who are hiring the sex workers. I guess in this case, they would be the Johns. Um, and, like, as someone who's never hired a sex worker myself, uh, is is that the right attitude to be like, well, what they're doing is wrong. The fact that they are hiring sex workers, that's that's the wrong part because, you know, you can put a, a morality claim on whether or not this is consensual. But that seems to me to make it all more dangerous. Wouldn't that make it? Don't shame either person. Yeah, okay, thank you. That's that's what I thought in my head. I, I was I was like you that that would just create a more dangerous um environment, wouldn't it? Okay. Okay, thank you. Xander, how long till you write a Dave Rubin parody? Don't do it, Xander. No one wants to see that. <laughs> oh, man. It would write itself, though, you know? Like, oh, well, yeah, I, I just found out that after I uh, stopped being an atheist, I also wanted to finally become straight. And so here's the scene, everybody. It's a high-level idea. My boner. Concerns. What gives you hope right now? 
Why the fuck would it be fine for us to do it and not okay for people to pay for us to do our job? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. They are about uh, experimenting with different solutions. Uh, finally, we have a generation that's looking at what's being done in other countries, what's working, what isn't working. Uh, we're now seeing more worker. I'm sorry, I'm not putting words. Fact- I'm not putting words in, in Mexi's mouth there. It's just like that was that is something that I've been seeing people talk about. Like, um, yes, sex work is work, and sex workers uh, should be treated just as humanly as every other person on the planet. But at the same time, we should not promote and or encourage people who seek out sex work and I was like well that then you're just adding that there's an element of this that is inherently wrong and that the people who are doing that are uh, contributing towards something negative and I don't think you're making the situation safer for the sex workers which is ultimately what you'd want to do right? There are as many as a thousand worker co-ops in this country Uh, about 500 of them are in the uh, startup phase Uh, but that is exciting news because now we're seeing companies being formed with workers actually. That's a gross simplification of her points but that's why I said at the very end I was like I'm actually not trying to put words in her mouth I'm just saying that the sentence and not specifically to her. Uh, well, obviously, it's going to be simplification, though. I'm speaking like that was just a rapid question that I wanted to ask Sandra about. Don't worry, I'm I'm a fan of Mexi, and I also like Mexi's work, and 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 we're we're in communicado, we're friends. I'm not trying to uh, do an attack on her character. It was more this point specifically because when I was watching it, I was like curious. I didn't know about this. Actually, owning the means of production. We're not talking about you know the federal government owning the means of production. We're talking about actual workers okay. making right. decisions democratically within the workplace. I think that's the right way to go about it. I love that it's being experimented with. Spanish among, monster. Uh, workers, Thank you. And I think that's the right way Appreciate to go. Appreciate that. Ben, what gives you hope? Uh, what gives me hope is the fact so that soon. because this is such a diverse country, and because what we are actually watching in real time is is one of the great sorting features that we've seen in American public life in quite a while. Right? We're seeing people like me move to Florida. We're seeing people who are in blue states want to stay in blue states. And, and what that's going to lead to is more diversity in terms of the the attempted policies. Uh, and that in turn, I would hope, yeah, sorry, would lead to a couple a things. One, federal empirical evidence is what works and what doesn't. And two, I would really hope that it would lead people say. to look at the federal government and say, this is just something that cannot control the entire country at once with one giant rubric of rules. We have to let California be California, and we have to let Texas be Texas, and we have to let Florida be Florida. And if we can't agree to do that, when we're going to be locked in a never-ending battle for supremacy, and things are going to get very, very, very ugly before this is over. And I think that the, the, the great threat to the country right now is the widely held belief that the solution is not at the local level, and it's not at the state level, that it is all at the federal level. And what we ought to be arguing about each and every day is how much money and what sort of regulations we ought to pursue for 330 million people. The longer that continues, the more we're going to decide. We it's got to be weird being perpetually mad. Like Ben Shapiro is always angry. It's just like he's only got one state and that is anger. I'm just, I'm always angry. I'm always, there's no, there's no joy here. Oh, uh, you know, good job, Anna. I thought that was, um, that was well done. Uh, it's interesting that it took place in that, um, in that environment. A lot of props for going into the lion's den, so to speak. Hey, j- do you, do you like movies? Do, do you like do you like surfs? Do you want do you want do you want movies and surf, surfs watching the movies? So then come over to the new channels. It's the surfs the cinema. Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Can you do the thing? You know that uh, thumbs up and comment and all those things that help us out in the algorithm that controls every aspect of our lives. Also, if you happen to have a Facebook account, um, can you can you delete it? Like just just delete it. You should probably delete your Facebook account because it's just it's not a great company. But hey, if you can't do that for whatever reason, I understand. And uh, could you also go to facebook.com slash the surf times then and uh, give us a little like and a follow. We're just trying to push back against the fact that people like Ben Shapiro happen to dominate the platform entirely. 
And when everyone asks why do older generations believe the things they believe, one of the problems is the majority of them on social media use Facebook. So to counter that, uh, we're just going to be on there too now. Also, if you happen to have a union or a worker co-op or even a leftist project podcast website, Zoom, MySpace, it doesn't matter. We will advertise it for free on this channel. All you got to do is go to wearesurfs.com and use the forms that we got there, wearesurfs.com. Thanks, everybody. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, may you shower us mortals with gifts from the heaven. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are your humble jesters, clowning around for your amusement. To our lord, Trevor R. and Alexander Thaler, we give you our thanks for this meager land for us to toil our seed. To our knights of the round table, Hagbard Sealine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariana McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Ants are still running the world, Coulter Smith, Tom Groh, Val 9000, Jenna Tal, Dark Puppy, Quiet185, Anna Loves Riley, Omni, Riley and Anna, Poodlehawk, The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janis, Lemmy101, Anthropophojack, Saren42, Chronic to Hemphog, Catherine, Radical Maniac, Ramon Acosta, Incosin, Violent Orchard, Sophie Baby, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Josh Mickelson, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We raise our glasses and we salute you, our comrades.